Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another incredible installment of Morning Reload. From high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. In the 12 years that I lived in Virginia and Tennessee, oh, I forgot to tell you that story. Years ago, I decided to take a transfer position to a company's main headquarters in Virginia. I worked for an oil and gas company at the time. When that job ended, six or seven years after I'd moved there, I then moved to Tennessee for a couple of years, and then I couldn't hack it anymore and had to come home to my cowboy state. But in the 12 years that I lived in those two states, I saw one buck deer. One in 12 years. Now, I didn't live in a city. In fact, I kind of lived out in the country. And my job at the time took me into all the hills of Virginia and Tennessee all the time, way away from people. So it's not like I didn't have an opportunity to see a buck deer. There just weren't any. And the reason why I didn't get to see any monster bucks like I was used to seeing back here in Wyoming is the Virginia and Tennessee Department of Fish and Game flatly sucks. There's really no control over how much wildlife is taken during hunting season. And even if one per- if a person has one permit, there's nothing to stop them from killing multiple deer. There's no enforcement whatsoever on hunting limits. The entire time I was there, I don't think I saw a game warden a single time. In no uncertain terms, their wildlife populations are directly correlative with the enforcement of their fish and game programs. In that regard... There is absolutely no comparison between Tennessee and Virginia and Wyoming. The Wyoming Game and Fish is the foremost wildlife management agency in the entire country. The reason why all manner of wildlife is so plentiful in our great state is because the people that manage the populations are experts at what they do. Did you notice after the giant winter kill of antelope this year that they cut the hunting permits way back? Why is that? because they are managing the population. The number of hunting permits issued is directly related to the wildlife populations that they relate to. If there's a huge boom in the elk population, well, you're going to see more permits that are issued. And those populations are tightly controlled. If you have one elk permit and you stupidly shoot two elk, you have a major problem on your hands because you're probably going to get caught. And the penalties for violating game and fish regulations are pretty severe. They can range from huge fines to imprisonment, though you don't find that very often. They could even seize your guns or your vehicle and revoke your hunting privileges for any length of time. So, Wyoming takes wildlife management very seriously. And the Wyoming game and fish are experts at what they do. So you might find it kind of puzzling that the United States Fish and Wildlife Service continues to argue with Wyoming over the delisting of grizzly bears. Most of the people that are doing the arguing have no idea what they're doing. They're bureaucrats in some far-flung office, and they're federal judges that routinely bow to tree-hugging environmental groups. Back in 2017, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service decided to delist the grizzly bear from the Endangered Species Act. So Wyoming did what we always do. 
We set up a hunting season to manage and control the population of grizzly bears. That year, the Wyoming Game and Fish was going to issue 10 permits, and if I remember correctly, the population of grizzlies at that time numbered several hundred more than the threshold listed in the Endangered Species Act. Enter federal judge Dana Christensen, who routinely tips his hat to any environmental group that pushes, puts any pressure on him. Anyhow, he struck down the delisting and Wyoming's hunting plan, and we are where we are today, arguing with the United States Fish and Wildlife Service over whether or not we should delist a species whose population is more than double than the lowest threshold listed in the Endangered Species Act. Oh, I almost forgot. The end of that whole Dana Christensen story is that in the end, we had to euthanize 12 bears and not 10 because 12 bears decided to eat hunters, guides, and photographers. Strange that the number one apex predator in North America would decide that a human might be a good snack. Before we go too much further, a quick profit timeout. This installment of Morning Reload is brought to you by the Buffalo Wool Company. They're the purveyors of the most amazing socks that you'll ever put on your feet. They'll keep you warm in the winter and dry in the summer. So if you want to try out some of the best socks that you're ever going to own, go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com. If it ever stops raining, we can begin this whole summer business, and you'll be in need of a brand new hat. Now, the company that you should check out is called New Trend Hats. They're a Wyoming-based outfit down in Kemmerer. Uh, they make those really cool baseball caps with the ponytail hole on the back of them. So if you need a new hat, and you probably do, go to NewTrendHats.com. They've got a huge selection for both men and women. That's NewTrendHats.com. None of this grizzly bear fight is about science. None of it. It's all about politics, and it always has been. It's about federal judges and the United States Fish and Wildlife Service bending to environmental groups that know nothing about grizzly bears. They don't know that they're over 1,200 pounds and have six-inch razor-sharp claws, nor do they even consider the possibility that it might be a bad idea for such an animal to be wandering through a populated area looking for dinner. Recently, this fact was laid bare by Representative Harriet Hageman during a hearing on the delisting of the grizzly bear. She tangled with the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, and uh, to be as kind as I possibly could, she made them look like fools that have no idea what they're talking about. About a month ago, I played an excerpt from that hearing on the program, and just because the whole thing makes me laugh uncontrollably, now she's questioning a guy named Dr. Servine, who's since retired, but he was the grizzly bear guy for the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. For 40 years, but he since put away his science and decided instead that politics is more fun. Here's what happened. Servine. But that was nothing compared to what Representative Hageman had in store for Servine. Needless to say, she was a little irritated with some of his assertions. Here she is taking apart Dr. Servine, the 40-year bureaucrat who obviously knows more about grizzly bears than actual scientist Director Brian Nesvik. Representative Hageman's nickname in the legal community is the Wicked Witch of the West, and for good reason. Here's why. And if this doesn't make you happy that Harriet Hageman is our representative, nothing will.
Mr. Servine, you were questioned about one of the factors under the Endangered Species Act, and that factor being whether uh, a recovery plan has an adequate regulatory mechanism for a particular species. And I've been working on these issues for quite some time. I have never seen a recovery plan that does not include some kind of a backstop that would protect a recovered species, including constant monitoring, uh, surveys, radio collaring, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to ensure that if there is a particular species, whether it's the Canadian gray wolf or the grizzly bear or whatever it may be, once that management plan goes into effect, you're not trying to imply that there's absolutely no effort after that to determine what's going on with that species, are you? Uh, no, no, I am not. Okay, so, so typically with these recovery plans, and in recovery plans that are at issue in this hearing right now, they actually have those kinds of mechanisms in place, don't they, where there is constant monitoring of the number of grizzly bears or the gray wolf population to ensure that those populations stay above the recovery threshold, don't they? Well, the monitoring in and of itself does not assure that the animals stay above No, their but they threshold. have those in place, and then there are tripwires that go into effect. So, for example, in Wyoming, with the Canadian gray wolf, if the population goes down below a certain level, even if it's during the trophy game hunting season, there's an immediate stop to any further hunting. Are you aware of that? Yes, yes, I okay, am. Okay, so those are the kinds of things that are in place with these recovery plans to ensure that the numbers don't, the numbers don't go below um, what, is, what is required or what is agreed to in terms of the delisting. Is that right? That is, in effect, to the case, but that is not what my concern is. No, but that's what, when you were questioned by Mr. Huffman about that being one of the factors, whether there was an adequate regulatory mechanism, part of the adequate regulatory mechanism is ensuring that those, whatever the species may be, doesn't decline below the recovered population, correct? Isn't that the purpose of it? That is correct. You have yes. to know how many so, animals die in order to And you're to also know aware, but, but when we're talking about the numbers under the Endangered Species Act, we're concerned about the number of live animals, right? So in Wyoming, I'll use that as an example again, for the Canadian gray wolf that was introduced, a, a non-native species that was introduced into Wyoming in 1995, the original recovery goal was 100 animals for both for Wyoming, for Idaho, and Montana. Were you aware of that? That was the original recovery goals. Yes, I was aware of that. Yes, and so uh, eventually when we started working on the recovery plans, then we got buffers in place. And so then the recovery goal went to 150. Were you aware of that? I am aware of that, yes. Okay, so then we have buffers in addition, uh, which is another uh, part of the adequate regulatory mechanism to ensure that if your recovery goal is 100, we're not managing in Wyoming for 100 Canadian gray wolves, are we? I don't believe so. My no, concern is not much, with Wyoming. We're, we're managing for much higher than that, aren't we? And the same with the grizzly bears. We will manage for a much higher population than the original 600 in terms of the recovery goal, right? Isn't that in the management plan? That is in the management plan. That's right. My so that's concern part, is not with Wyoming. So that would be considered an adequate regulatory mechanism, wouldn't it? I'm, I'm not sure that I can answer your question. Buffoons, each and every one of them. The reason I bring this up again is on the front page of the Red Stars website yesterday was an article pointing out that the state of Wyoming 
once again has to sue the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, just like they had to sue over the Canadian gray wolf, to get the federal government to abide by the very laws that they put in place. The grizzly bear has been delisted twice before. And again, as I mentioned, federal judges like Dana Christensen have overturned those decisions. Just get a load of the process that the federal government wants Wyoming to go through to delist the grizzly bear for a third time from the Red Star, and I quote, Meantime, federal wildlife managers have not given a firm update on their timeline. Hillary Cooley, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service's Grizzly Recovery Coordinator, spoke to the status of the federal government's process at a May gathering of Yellowstone area grizzly managers in Cody. Quote, we are updating all the data, all the science in our status assessment, Cooley said. Once we do that, we'll send that for out for our peer review. If the Fish and Wildlife Service's 12-month review receives Wyoming's grizzly petition favorably, then the agency would issue a proposed rule to delist grizzlies, currently classified as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. A final rule and multiple rounds of public comment would also precede any potential grizzly bear jurisdiction shift. End quote. How much more science could they possibly need? Well, the truth is, none. There's nothing else that they could possibly need to delist the grizzly bear. And this is what tells you that it's all about politics and it has nothing to do with actual bears. And did you catch all of those vague terms in their statements? Peer review, favorably, proposed rule, potential grizzly bear jurisdiction shift. Utter bullcrap. And it proves to you that none of this has anything to do with caring about grizzly bears. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with caring about people, which maybe that's the point anyway. These Fish and Wildlife Service employees are no more credible than Anthony Fauci. That'll about do it for today's installment of the program. On Wednesday's show, I have a very special presentation for you. I was able to sit down with Jennifer Say, who is the former chief marketing officer for Levi Strauss, to talk about woke corporatism. You might remember Jennifer Say. She was one of the very first victims of cancel culture in the corporate world. She was fired by Levi Strauss because she didn't think that we should keep all of our schools closed well after the pandemic was over. She has a lot to say, and you're going to absolutely love the conversation. So we'll do that on Wednesday's program. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics. <laughs>